Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode is being recorded on Thursday, March 28th. We're going to talk about some changes following the big March 12th core algorithm update. We'll talk about RHEL Preven next. I apologize to those of you who listened to the episode last week. I said I was going to talk about RHEL Preven next changes and then forgot to do it. So we'll definitely cover that in this episode. And then we've got a bunch of other really helpful tips for you in words uh, in terms of SEO. So let's talk a little bit first about algorithm updates. As most of you know, there was a big update on March 12th, so that was a couple of weeks ago at this time, that Google confirmed as a core algorithm update. And as usually happens following a core update, we've had some sort of tremors afterwards. What I do every week is I look at all of the analytics profiles that we have access to, and I try to see if we can see patterns, if we can say, ah, you know, on this particular day, a lot of sites saw increases or decreases. And what we saw were there were two time periods in the last week or two that uh, we saw a lot of sites with changes. Um, one of those was a, a good number of sites saw changes March 18th. And then it seemed that between March 20th to 24th, there were a lot of sites with changes and there wasn't one particular day. So probably what's happening here is Google is making tweaks to the March 12th update. I've heard some people say that they felt that Google rolled it back and that's not the case. In the newsletter, which you can get at mariehaines.com newsletter, You'll see that there are a lot of examples of sites that, um, you know, in some cases they started seeing improvements March 12th and then continued to see improvements throughout uh, March 24th. In other cases, they went up March 12th and then maybe saw a bit of a decrease in, uh, in you know, March 20th or something like that. Uh, those are sites that probably thought that Google rolled something back. Um, but we're seeing others. We're seeing some that weren't even affected on March 12th and then saw some changes uh, on March 20th or beyond. And so I think really Google is just tweaking what they see. You know, so some of the sites that if you were drastically affected and you think that it really shouldn't be that way, um, you know, you might find sometimes that Google just makes some changes and recognizes, oh, we were a little too harsh on this particular issue. Um, it seems that that turbulence is still going on. And I would imagine it seems to me that almost once a week or so, uh, Google makes some type of a small tweak to the quality algorithms. And then, of course, as we always say, it's usually every few months or so that Google makes a bigger tweak like the uh, the March 12th change. So there's nothing specific in sites that were hit that we can see as a pattern other than they would all classify as YMYL, your money or your life sites. And, um, you know, so if you did see declines uh, in the last couple of weeks, either March 12th or in conjunction with one of these other, you know, between March 18th to 24th, then I really would be looking at overall site quality. Uh, really, you know, most of you listening to this know that we put a lot of emphasis on Google's quality raters guidelines, but I would certainly look at technical things as well. I feel like now we were just starting to get into the sites that had uh, approached us for, um, you know, recent drops with March 12th. And uh, it'll be a few weeks before we have really strong strong data to tell you, you know, what types of sites were affected and what their issues are. But initially, we seem to be seeing a number of sites that potentially have massive amounts of thin content. Um, we're being approached by big sites with forums, uh, you know, things like that. And so 
Part of what I think is going on here is, uh, you know, Google has just figured out relevancy. And uh, if you've got pages that, you know, maybe ranked on the power of your, the authority of your domain, Google's sometimes better able to figure out that like, yeah, you know what, this really wasn't the best answer to people's queries. So hopefully I'll have more information. Well, I know I'll have more information for you in a few weeks uh, when we start actually working on some of these sites that have seen site drops. But for now, there's nothing specific. Specific. Um, it's not like you can say, ah, if you were affected, it's because of this one issue. Um, and that's always the case these days. It's, it's usually multiple quality issues. So let's talk a little bit about paginated content. A, a thing came out last week where uh, Google said, oh, by the way, um, we don't use rel equals next and prev or previous and next. Let's take that a step back for those of you who are wondering what the heck I'm talking about. Um, rel previous and next were sort of versions of using the canonical tag. So a canonical tag is where if I have two pages on my website or even on different websites that are essentially the same, um, let's, let's say an example is maybe an e-commerce product page and one URL is slash product and one URL is slash product with all these uh, parameters on it. So size equals this and color equals this and whatnot. Um, but the content is the same on those pages. Then those are considered canonical versions of each other. Now, what Google came out with in 2011, I believe it was Google that came out with this, was this rel previous and next. And what you could do is say, ah, this page is part of a whole series of pages. And the next page is this one. The previous page in the series is this one. And so it can be really complicated. We have sections of our reports that are multiple pages long, just trying to explain the proper use of rel previous and next. And then it turns out that Google says, John Mueller from Google, when he was pressed, said, we don't use rel next and prev at all. There was a bit of discussion as to whether Google maybe just didn't use it for finding content to index, but no, he says we don't use it at all. So site owners were very, you know, understandably upset about this, especially SEOs, because uh, a lot of businesses have paid a lot of money in consulting to get the rel prev and, and next properly working um, in the way that it should. So what does this mean? If you use rel prev and next, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, other people had a good point that probably other search engines use it. And I think it can really be helpful in terms of accessibility. Uh, if you have, you know, it can help users potentially as well. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's not something that I'm going to put a lot of effort into fixing if there's issues. I might change my mind on that in the future. But my uh, mindset right now is if a site has rel previous and next, we just want to kind of make sure that you're not doing anything completely wrong with it that could hurt the site. But I would probably just leave it the way it is. And if you haven't used it, you probably don't want to start implementing it. I know some people would disagree with me on that. I think in most cases, most of us that are working on sites, you know, we have this massive list of things to prioritize. And so I would put cleaning up rel prev and next lower down on the priority list. Um, depends on the site though. So uh, so then uh, Google Webmasters did tweet out, spring cleaning, as we evaluated our indexing signals, we decided to retire rel equals previous and next. Studies show that users love single page content, aim for that when possible, but multi-part is also fine for Google search. And ultimately what you want to do is what's best for users. So I think some of this change has come from sites that we're trying to rank. I mean, we've all seen it, right? These sites that have a slideshow and in order to get, you know, maybe the 
the article is like 25 tips for improving your skin. And then uh, you have to go through 25 different pages because it's one tip per page. And of course, they do that for ad revenue, right? Um, but Google is saying, you know, users don't prefer that. And so if you are trying to decide on building pages just to build out more ad impressions, you might find that you actually do better in terms of rankings if you can get all that content onto one page. So I don't think this is a big deal. I, I think a lot of SEOs got upset about this, mostly because it's kind of concerning that, you know, a lot of us have been charging people to consult on Relpreven Next, and Google says, well, we haven't used it in years. Uh, who knows what else we're, you know, actively trying to help sites improve that really don't matter. Um, but that's the nature of our business, right? I mean, we, we do the best that we can. And as long as we're not actively trying to deceive people, I think for the most part, we're helping sites to, uh, to get better. This was an interesting discussion on Twitter about neural matching and rank brain. I'm going to try to not get super technical here. And I'll tell you, I am not an expert on either of these, but I find them both fascinating. So Danny Sullivan tweeted under the Google search liaison account. We've had some questions about how neural matching differs, differs from rank brain. So this is what he said. Rank brain helps Google better relate pages to concepts whereas neural matching helps better relate words to searches. So he gave an example. If somebody did a search for why does my TV look strange, apparently, and I had to look this up afterwards, there's something called the soap opera effect. And this is one of the most common reasons for a TV to look strange. Um, it does something where it starts looking like everything was filmed on a camcorder and it, it looks like kind of real life and not really high quality, I guess. Uh, and so... Um, Google is able to recognize that if somebody does a search for why does my TV look strange, then uh, let's, let's go back to the original query. Neural matching helps Google figure out that this is really the same search for the soap opera effect. Um, and so rank brain, what it does is figures out which pages should rank for that. So let's say you have a page that's all about um, the soap opera effect. You may not have the words on the page, why does my TV look strange? You might not have any words on the page that talk about your TV looking strange, but yet rank brain is able to figure out, ah, this content is able to answer questions, even if the questions don't have those keywords in it. And neural matching is be able, is from what I understand, is to look at the query, is to say, ah, this query, this search term, is about the soap opera effect, even though they haven't used those words. So it's just Google getting better at figuring out what are the questions that people have. And the reason why I've spent time on this is I think that a lot of the recent algorithm updates, when we say an update has to do with relevancy, it's probably talking about this thing. We've seen clients that were ranking, they lost like a crazy amount of rankings and that's why they came to us uh, because they lost rankings in conjunction with an algorithm update. But the clients will often tell us that even though rankings went down, their conversions are essentially the same. It's not the case for every site. I mean, we see a lot of sites that are financially devastated by algorithm updates. But in a lot of cases though, we see like, yeah, our traffic was like cut in half, but we're still getting conversions and we're still getting the same number of people to our important pages. What's probably happened here is that Google just gets better at figuring out, oh, you know what? These 10,000 pages on your site that used to be ranking for these queries aren't actually relevant to those queries. And so, uh, you know, you might find that you lose traffic for those pages, but that traffic wasn't relevant to start with. And that's actually a good thing, right? You want people on your site that actually want to be there. Um, so 
I don't think, you know, I'm not going to go that much further into trying to understand the difference between neural matching and rank brain, but I did find that interesting. And I think, you know, as we start talking about um, neural matching and, and things to do with machine learning and, and all of this, it gets really, really fascinating. But really the underlying thing that we need to look at is Google's attempt, and I don't care how they get there, but Google's attempt is to make it so that the pages that are ranking for queries truly are the best results and to make it so that all the little tricks and loopholes that we use as SEOs are less effective. Um, and what really is effective is, is genuinely improving the quality of pages for users. Um, moving along, there's uh, some new testing for AMP pages, and I haven't played around with this myself. We don't do a whole lot of work with AMP pages, uh, but apparently now the mobile-friendly test and the AMP test um, support code editing. So you can use these tests, and you can just play around with different code in there and uh, and see what your pages look like. So if you are a, a developer and you're you know and that sounds appropriate to you, then I I, I think it's worth looking at. Um, again, I'm not an expert in those areas, but I think that would be interesting to a lot of people. Google, as they do every year, put out their uh, report on web spam. And it, it's usually the same type of report every year, but I'll see if I can highlight the uh, important things for you. Google has said that they've gotten better and faster at discovering hacked pages. And uh, they have more resources for having a, a webmaster um, fix up their hacked site. Uh, a client of ours was recently uh, in a situation where their site was hacked. And uh, it's a real pain to, to, to try to fix things. And it's often hard to find. I know my site was hacked a while back and uh, they hacked it in a way so that you could only see the hack if you were from an IP address that was outside of my area. So I could never see the hack um, until we used a, um, you know, a, a proxy and then we were able to see it from another IP address. Um, hacked pages, I still think Google's not great at finding them, but apparently they've improved. So that's probably a good thing. That said, you really don't want Google to find your hacked pages. Uh, I would much rather deal with the problem first before Google flags them as low quality pages. It can take a fair amount of time for Google to um, return things back to normal once uh, you've fixed up a hack. So, uh, so definitely you want to, we subscribe to Securi. Um, I'm sure there are others, but it's a really good service where they just keep an eye on your websites and they'll tell you, you send you an, I, I hate when I get those emails. I'll get an email that says, you know, there's malware detected on one of your sites. And then uh, often they'll give you instructions on how to fix it, or you can consult with security on, uh, you know, getting them to fix it. But malware is definitely something you don't want to deal with on your site. Um, Google says in this blog post that they've reduced user-generated spam by 80% in forum posts. That's really interesting, right? Along with spam accounts in free blogs and platforms. I think a lot of that is just Google's efforts to make it so that link spam doesn't work so much. So when I when we do link audits in the you know, back in 2012, 2013, it was not uncommon for some of these sites that had penalties to have had links from thousands and thousands of free host sites. You know, we'd see, like if your main keyword was luxury cars, uh, you'd see, uh, you know, all these 
free hosts like luxurycars.weebly.com, .yolasite.com, um, all these different ones. And people would create these free hosts and create their own links. And those links used to work really well, but uh, Google is getting really good at making it so those don't work. And I would imagine that this means it's really cutting down on the number of people who are trying to use that kind of spam. I found this the most interesting. Google says uh, that they've cut down dramatically on link spam. Several bad linking practices became much less effective to ensure rankings were not manipulated. Um, and so we've seen this, you know, I think that we had several updates. Uh, we, there weren't really, really any updates that were very strongly announced as link updates, but a lot of the quality updates, especially around early October of 2018, really seemed to strongly affect sites that had uh tricky link profiles, link profiles that had a lot of unnatural links in them. Uh, and so I think, you know, Google's made a number of changes to just assess link quality. And ultimately, they only want to count links that truly are natural mentions of your site. And if you have a bunch of links that are just there because you found a way to build your own links, then there's a good chance that those are not going to work as strongly as they used to. Um, and I think there's even a chance that they could do harm to your site. I know people say that opens up the idea of negative SEO via link building. But realistically, I mean, this is what John Mueller said just a couple of months ago, was that Google has algorithms that say, ah, you know, if there's a lot of unnatural links pointing to this site, maybe we should put less trust in all of their links overall. And so, you know, now we're doing more link audits. And in a few months, we should have some really good data for you on uh, whether or not disavows are helping and how thorough a disavow we need to do in order to, uh, to actually see positive results. This is an interesting thing that somebody tweeted about. Uh, if you ever see somebody advertising themselves as a Google Premier Partner, it's important to know that that's just Google Ads. Um, I've seen people that have advertised their SEO services saying, look, we're a Google Partner. And so John Mueller actually tweeted out that if somebody's trying to advertise that they're um, endorsed by Google for SEO, then there's actually a form. It's in the newsletter that you can get. This is uh, episode 76, by the way, um, on our website. And uh, you, there's a form that you can fill out that will tell Google that somebody is violating this policy. So if you have competitors that are uh, trying to pretend that they're Google endorsed when really it's just Google ads, then that's something that you can do is report them using this form. Couple people have noticed that uh, there's some new changes to featured snippets. I'm always reluctant to cover this because it seems like featured snippets, they change in appearance pretty much every week. Um, the example that was given was if you do a search for peanut allergy, uh, it gives you an um, sort of like an expandable featured snippet that says, here's the treatment, here's some statistics, here's some other things. And that's kind of scary for content creators, right? If Google is able to gather this stuff from around the web, then somebody looking for information on a peanut allergy has no need to go into your site. Um, so again, the key point to take home here is that we don't want to be producing content that could just be grabbed by Google and answer somebody question, somebody's question in 10 seconds. Um, you know, if a subject is worth writing about, it's worth writing in full so that people need to, uh, people can get thorough information from your, your website. Uh, just a reminder that Fetch's Google uh, is going away. Uh, actually, just this morning, it's gone. Um, Google Search Console put out uh, an announcement this morning. We'll cover that in more detail in next week's newsletter. Uh, but a number of things have left Search Console. 
Fetch's Google is gone, but it's still there um, in the sense that you can do an inspect URL and then you can actually see what the URL looks like and you can see a rendered version of the URL um, and that's in the inspect URL function. So uh, I know I saw some people complaining that it was gone, but really you can still see uh, what a URL looks like from Google's perspective by using this um, um, part in Google Search Console. Uh, it's important to know too, um, maybe not important, but a neat little tip is if you want to see how Google is rendering a page that you don't have Search Console access for, you can just quickly throw it into the um, PageSpeed Insights or the mobile friendly test. And what Google will show you is like screenshot showing the above the fold content and what they're seeing. And if you, uh, so if we're looking at a competitor's site, often we'll say like, look, this is what Google considers the above the fold content. Or if we're looking at a site uh, where we're like, you know what, we're not really sure if Google's able to see these images. Maybe you're using using like lazy loading and you're not sure whether Google's actually seeing them, we can run it very quickly through the mobile friendly test or the um, uh, page speed insights. And, uh, and then we get this little snapshot of here's what Google's seeing. And that can help you uh, determine a lot of things sometimes. The new search console as well uh, has the ability to remove a sitemap, which was something that is new that that wasn't there a couple of weeks ago, as far as I can see. Somebody asked John Mueller, this question comes up regularly, is schema necessary to win a featured snippet? So schema is code that you can add to basically mark up your, the HTML of your website. Um, there's different ways that you can do it, but one example is for review stars. If you have a product and people can review it and uh, you can use schema to say to search engines, okay, the average review rating for this product is 4.2. And then when you see, you know, if you win the, the rich snippets in the search results, then you might see next to the search results that there's 4.2 stars for this uh, particular um, product. So that's, I mean, that schema can help in a number of things. Schema, in my opinion, schema really does two things. One is it can help you get rich results like stars. And number two is it just helps feed search engines more information about your entities. Um, we like to mark up everything we can with schema uh, in terms of location and uh, author schema and a, a bunch of things like that to just basically give search engines as much information as you can um, so that they don't have to find it in other sources. And uh, we really feel, you know, Gary Ish from Google said last year, if you had to focus on two things to improve on your website, uh, you should be focusing on schema and also images. Important to know, right? Those are the things Google wants. And it makes sense to me because I think with machine learning, Google is trying to be able to answer so many questions and they want to be able to say, yes, this is an entity, this is connected to this entity. And um, they don't. They can get more of that information uh, the more we implement schema. So that does make sense. Somebody asked John Mueller whether uh, it's okay to have um, a privacy policy that is duplicated from another source. And uh, I feel like we've talked about this a few times, so I'll keep it brief. It's, it's okay. Don't worry about duplicate content on the odd page. If Google sees that your content is duplicated from another source and it's just a couple of pages, it's not going to cause you problems. It just means that that particular page is likely not going to rank for much um, or rank for that particular content. Uh, where duplicate content is a problem is when you have a large per portion of your site that really is essentially the same as what people can get elsewhere. That can potentially cause Google to treat your site as uh, lower quality or even sections of your site as, as lower quality. 
Um, okay, so we're at the point in the newsletter now where I'm going to skip through a few things. Again, if you're a, a member of the newsletter, you can get it at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. The search news you can use is episode number 76. And we have two versions of the newsletter. The free version has every sort of Google announcement, everything that's publicly available by Google, and a few other little things. The paid version, which at this time is $18 a month, um, will show you a bunch of tips that we've just taken from all over the web. Uh, summaries of the most recent uh, important articles as well. And so um, we have some, uh, here's an interesting tip we'll talk about. It's from a recent help hangout with John Mueller. And Glenn Gabe tweeted about this. Uh, He said, does Google evaluate quality based on how a page looks visually? And John Mueller said, we do try to look at the page visually, but we mostly do it to check if content is above the fold or if it's an ad. So if Google's trying to see like if your page looks pretty, I've seen, you know, I've seen people say this, that if, um, yeah, if your site, if we say, you know, why is your site more valuable than your competitor's site? And often people will say, well, it's a nicer design. It's visually better. Um, you know, I don't think Google looks at that type of thing. Now, granted, if your design is so much better that users prefer it dramatically over your competitors, perhaps that can have an effect. But John said what they're looking for visually is, is their content above the fold? And he also said they check for mobile friendliness and to make sure that text is visible. Um, so above the fold, somebody's asked John in the past whether uh, having a big image above the fold could trigger this page layout algorithm. This is the algorithm that says, oh, if all the above the fold content is an ad, then maybe this is lower quality. John said, in theory, it's possible that a large image could trigger that algorithm. But he's, I think he's also saying here that like even if it doesn't trigger a penalty, for having uh, too many ads above the fold, it still can mean that Google thinks that there's less valuable content on this page because they want to see valuable text above the fold. And I know this causes issues for people who have to deal with design teams. Um, You know, designers and usability experts are often saying like, you know, this, if we put text above the fold that's going to hurt our conversions or users are not going to like it so much. So there has to be a balance and it's often hard to find that balance between the developers, the designers, the SEOs and, um, you know, conversion optimizers and and all those things. We have very tough jobs, don't we? (laughs) Um, Let's see here. I think we'll probably skip over most of this. And, uh, oh, this is an interesting thing. Joel Youngblood, uh, Youngblood tweeted that MailChimp is um, no longer working with Shopify. If you have a Shopify site, uh, apparently they have something in their privacy statement that MailChimp took issue with. And you may find that you can't integrate MailChimp. Uh, MailChimp is an email uh, provider. Uh, so if you have a newsletter, you can you know do it through MailChimp. A lot of people use MailChimp because I believe, I mean, unless something has changed, it's free for up to a thousand users. And so I initially used it for my newsletter and then I uh, started using ConvertKit and I really like it a lot better. Um, So now, you know, we have way more than a thousand newsletter subscribers uh, and we pay a significant amount of money for ConvertKit. I want to say we pay like... Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it is, but um, it's significant, but the... The features are really good, so um, you know I'm I'm quite happy with with our use of ConvertKit. This is interesting too. Uh, Pinterest is filing for an IPO. This is something totally outside of my wheelhouse. But what was interesting though is that uh, they actually said in their filing 
um, that they've been having issues because of Google algorithm updates and that Google algorithm updates have severely impacted their traffic. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, how annoying is it if, I, if I'm looking for a recipe and I find the perfect recipe and then I land on the page and it's basically just a Pinterest collection uh, and then I have to find the link to the actual recipe. I didn't want to see the Pinterest page. I wanted to see the actual recipe page. It doesn't surprise me that their traffic is suffering. Um, so that's interesting, right? I've often thought that there could be a market for um, those of you who have good SEO skills and good financial skills and understand the stock market. I think you can look at sites and say like, you know, these sites are likely to become really valuable and really important and make a lot of money. Uh, and there could be something there. Who knows? Maybe I've inspired some of you to uh, um, combine your, your loves of SEO and finances uh, and make something profitable out of it. Um, there are some little changes in uh, local search. Um, apparently now for events, uh, Google is rolling out something where um, the public can actually create an event for you. So if you are a site that relies on events, then that's something to, uh, uh, to pay attention to. Um, there's some changes in how Google shows uh, hotel comparisons. Now they've got pricing again, which apparently had gone away for a little bit. Um, we've talked recently about how Google has a new form for Google My Business spam complaints. If you have competitors that are spamming Google My Business, you can fill out this form and um, submit it. And Mike Blumenthal says it takes 12 to 15 days for a response. So we had one that we actually heard back from much quicker. I think it was about five days. Um, but Mike does way more of these than I do. So I trust him that, it, you know, on average, it could take a little bit longer. I think um, maybe at the initial, you know, now that people know that this form is there, it may have been a little more active than it uh, than it will be in a few weeks from now. Um, but it's good to know that that's there to report small business uh, or report Google My Business spam. And that's all that we have for this podcast. I wanted to say, for those of you who are local to me, anywhere near the Ottawa area, Ottawa, Canada, we're hiring again. Um, we're going to hire somebody for a digital marketing assistant role. Um, it's a lot of uh, doing some transcriptions, updating our website, things like that. But it's a great way to uh, come in and join our team. So if you're interested on that, or if you know anybody who's interested in a job in working with us, it's mariehaines.com slash jobs. This is a, a local position. We're not hiring re remotely. I know there's a real trend to hire remotely, but the way that we work in our office is we're constantly having discussions about different websites, different quality issues. Um, if a Google employee comes out and says something, you know, when the Relpreve and Next thing came out, we instantly had a team discussion about, okay, how are we going to handle this? Um, and so this is a really, I love what we're building here. It's a fantastic place to work. Uh, and if you're interested in working with us, then mariehaines.com slash jobs. Um, so that's all we've got. I really hope that uh, things look up for your sites. Um, I'm hoping that these recent algorithm updates have been helpful to you. We've got a ton of uh, emails. Thank you to all of you people who wrote in and uh, um, said, you know, hey, I was implementing your tips on EAT and we saw improvements with this algorithm update. That really, really makes me happy to see stuff like that. As always, if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can reach us at help, H-E-L-P, at mariehaines.com. I wish you the best of luck with rankings this week, and we will hopefully talk soon.